Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we come to you. We come to your word because we know it's the food that we need for our life. We know it's the power that we need in our life to change our life. Lord, we need you to give us understanding and enlighten our, our hearts and our minds to see what you're saying to us and to help us to live it out, Father. We ask that you give us the strength and the courage to obey and to heed your word in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're in Psalm 37 again. We're going to be in Psalm 37 for a couple of weeks because Psalm 37 is a psalm that is written in the style of a proverb that speaks of wisdom, but it's wisdom specifically in, I think, very relevant for us as far as living in evil days. Days in which it seems that the wicked seem to triumph and all the good people and all the righteous, all they get is dumped on. How do we navigate through those days and maintain our faith? Last week, we, we were seeing how to keep our eyes of faith. And this week, we're going to look at being content in the Lord. You have to find your contentment in the Lord to endure the wicked and evil days. Because it's tough. When you look around and you see people doing wicked things, and, and, and you see them getting ahead. It's like you watch people that you know are cheating at life, and they're getting ahead. And you're like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this the hard way? Why am I doing this? And, and, and I can't seem to get ahead. Everybody that does everything right, they always seem, it, it, it doesn't matter. I can never get ahead of the bills. I can never get ahead of the troubles. I can never get ahead of, I can't even get a moment to breathe. When you see people doing wicked things and getting away with it, the, the it, injustice of it is amplified when you're living righteously and falling behind. The truth is, we're going to face difficult times. We're going to face difficult circumstances. And the only way to get through it is to be content in the Lord. You see, this psalm wasn't written by somebody living in an ivory tower who had no idea what it was to live in the real world and to deal with real problems. We're reminded that this, that this psalm is literally titled, Of David. It comes from David's hand written out of his difficulties in life. We know that David was a hunted man. We know that David was a hated man. We know that, that David had his failures. He had to overcome his shortcomings. David seems to recognize the fact that the wicked seems to triumph over righteousness. And in these verses that we're going to cover tonight, David brings out two areas that we have to find complete contentment in the Lord for these days. So starting in verse 12, we're going to go to 12 to 22. Verse 12 says, The wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. The Lord laughs at him because he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and strung the bow to bring down the poor and needy to slaughter those whose way is upright. Their swords will enter their own hearts and their bows will be broken. The little that the righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord supports the righteous. 
The Lord watches over the blameless all their days and their inheritance will last forever. They will not be disgraced in times of adversity. They will be satisfied in days of hunger, but the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies like the glory of the pastures will fade away. They will fade away like smoke. The wicked person borrows and does not repay, but the righteous one is gracious and giving. Those who are blessed by the Lord will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be destroyed. And as we read these words and we consider the times that we live in and we see what's going on in the world out there, we kind of go, how's that possible? We're going to see it as we look at ways, the two ways that we need to be content in the Lord. Number one, we need to be content that God will judge. When we find contentment that God will judge, that's when we can rest and we go, okay, there is still coming a day. It's not yet, but it's coming. In verse 12, it says, the wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. Verse 13 says, however, the Lord laughs at him because he sees that his day is coming. It says that the wicked have drawn the sword and strung the bow to bring down the poor, the needy, and to slaughter those whose way is upright. But their swords will enter their own hearts and their bows will be broken. I'm going to level with you guys. I'm going to share something that it's going to be uh, earth shattering news to you. The wicked have an evil agenda. Okay. They scheme against the righteous. They gnash their teeth at the righteous. And David's experienced this firsthand. So it doesn't matter whether you're a common person or a king, whether you're a prophet of God or just a servant of God the wicked scheme against you if you're with God at all. Have you experienced that? Maybe you can think in your life. Maybe you're going through it right now where it seems like they're out to get you for no other reason than you're righteous. Do you know why they scheme against the righteous? Why don't they scheme against each other? Do you know how hard it is for a crook to be a crook against another crook? Do you know how suspecting like they are of each other? No, they have to go after the righteous. Why? Because it's easier to, to scheme against the righteous. It would be easier to handle if the wicked were out scheming against each other. We just kind of sit back and watch the show. But they scheme against people who are called by God to be helpful, called by God to be trusting, called by God to be loving, called by God to not lie. These aren't simply two people eyeing each other with a sort of disapproval. This is one group specifically eyeing the other group with hostility and thinking of ways that they can get over on them because they're so innocent, because they're so loving. And so the wicked scheme against the righteous. And they scheme with much malice, right? Have, it, when they scheme against us, do they seem to have any type of remorse over it? Not usually. There's, not ever, there's never a point in which they're, oh, maybe I went too far with that. 
You, you think about these people that run these scams from across the seas and they, and they get you and they scam you once. And maybe you send them a couple hundred dollars. Well, they come back and they go, well, he sent us a couple hundred dollars. How about we call him up again and see if we can't scam him out of more? And so they do that. And then maybe you think it's all gone away and, and, and it's all over and done with. And then years later, it happens again. And they call you and try to scam you some more. They, they, they scheme against the righteous because God calls us to be trusting, calls us to be loving, calls us to be helpful. And you know what? That makes you a target for the wicked. And we need to understand that. So that we're not going and being confused. Why is the wicked coming against me? Because you're a target. Because you're righteous. And so they gnash their teeth. They grind their teeth at you. They're like, like it's, it's that face that you make when you're just like, and there's so much emotion and hatred and, and vitriol behind it. How do you react when the wicked scheme against you? How do you react when the wicked scheme against you? I know how I react when the wicked scheme against me, and, and especially when I'm, when I'm dumb and I fall into it. I, I, I get upset. I, I'm overtaken with, with anger and, and, and I get mad. And I go, see, this is what happens when I obey you, God. But that's not how we're supposed to react. You want to know how the Lord reacts to the wicked scheming? He laughs at them. He laughs at them. Why? Because though they scheme and though they, they think they're getting away with it, they think they're so slick, they think they're so sly, that they're, that they're, coming out victorious. But God laughs because he sees their day coming. In fact, you could read that two different ways where it says he sees his day coming. You can see that as God sees that his day is coming, the day that he has set aside, the day that he has chosen for when he will put away all wickedness and he will judge everyone. Or you could say it as God sees his day, the wicked's day, same day, same out outcome, the wicked are going to be put away. They will be done away with. The point here is to emphasize the folly of those who go against God. It's not to suggest that God doesn't care that we suffer. God isn't laughing like, <laughs> look at how they, he totally fooled them because I told them to live this way. And look at, they, they, they're totally fooled. That's not God at all. That is not our God. He never takes our sufferings lightly. He doesn't, he, he, he's, he's not laughing because we're taken advantage of and he's, but you know what else he's not doing? He's not laughing because he gets to punish the wicked. He's laughing at the futility of their efforts to get ahead in that way because all it's doing is going to lead their, their destruction. You see in Ezekiel 33, 11, we're told that God says, tell them this as I live. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You see, God's desire is that the wicked would turn from his way and live. He says, repent, repent of your evil ways. Why will you die, house of Israel? See, our God is a loving God. 
who desires for those who would to repent and choose life that they might live. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. If God is able to laugh at the wicked, we should at least be able to not be agitated by them, right? We should be able to trust God, content that he has a day that he will judge. The Lord is the one who holds the future. The Lord is the one who knows all about the wicked. There's not a scheme that the wicked do that escapes the eye of God. And he continues to hold that day. That day is still coming. It continues to march forward. Psalm 2, if we remember, we go back to Psalm 2. This is a messianic psalm. It talks about the day that Christ is going to come and set up his kingdom. And it talks about how all the nations come up against and try to war against God. And, and it says, the one throned in heaven laughs and ridicules them. He speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. Understand this. God is not the least bit worried about the schemes of the wicked. It changes his plan zero. Their seeming victories, their seeming triumphs are for a season. And what we have to come to grips with is even if they victor over us right now in this life, that too is for a season. Our victory is in the next life, in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a story about an atheist farmer who loved to ridicule those who believe in God. He wrote a letter to a local newspaper in which he boasted. He said, I plowed on Sunday, planted on Sunday, cultivated on Sunday, and I hauled in my crops on Sunday. He's all, but I never went to church on Sunday. Yet I hauled in more bushels per acre than anyone who believes in God and goes to church. The editor printed the letter and then added this remark. The Lord doesn't always settle his accounts in October. It's something to keep in mind. Just because nothing bad happens now doesn't mean we're not hit. Doesn't mean that they're not going to be repaid for their works that they've done. As Christians, we can be assured that if the Lord doesn't settle the account in this life, the coming judgment when everything will be made right is coming. We can leave vengeance to God and be content in God. See Hebrews 9:27 it says it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment. So they have victory over you in this life. You're going to die, you're going to stand before God and you're going to be judged. Are you in Christ or not? In Christ, go off into glory. Not in Christ, you're going to pay for the wickedness. You're going to pay for not having Christ in your life. Paul writes in Romans 12, he says, friends, we don't have to avenge ourselves. He says, instead, leave room for God's wrath. It's written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. He says, here's what we do. When they scheme against us, we don't scheme back. If our enemy's hungry, we feed them. We continue to love. We continue to meet their needs. We continue to be those people. If he's thirsty, we give him something to drink. 
But know this, in doing so, you heap fiery coals on his head. Not literally, but in the sense of every good thing that you do, where you do not repay evil for evil, is judgment against them. Because they were treated kindly, they were treated with love, and they continued to be wicked and evil. You cannot conquer evil with evil. You can only overcome evil with good. And so they plan, though they plan to destroy others, what happens in the end is it is they themselves who are destroyed. They readied their swords. They ready their bows. They want to bring down the poor and the needy, and they want to slaughter the upright, all the vulnerable of society, all the trusting ones of society, all the righteous ones of society. They bring their weapons, and what happens is their weapons and their schemes come down on themselves. Any weapon against the Lord or the people of the Lord is futile, and in the end, they're going to be turned back on themselves. You see, because sin carries the seeds of its destruction within itself. An evil empire can only endure for so long. It may, it may survive on brute strength for a time, but the corruption within it will eventually weaken it from within and it will fall. It's the same with individuals. Corrupt individuals eventually will fall. Corruption cannot stand for Corruption is corrupt. It is unable to endure. People can cheat. They can scheme. They can intimidate. But only for a time. Eventually their character will be revealed. People will refuse to deal with them. Um, others may destroy them with the same tactics. But then the other thing that we need to be content and lord in, in order that we don't become susceptible or, or overcome by the wickedness in this world, is we need to be content that God will provide. This is an area of struggle for many of us. This is an area of struggle. In verse 16, it says, The little that the righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord supports the righteous. The Lord watches over the blameless all their days, and their inheritance will last forever. They will not be disgraced in times of adversity. They will be satisfied in days of hunger. But the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies, like the glory of the pastures, will fade away. They will fade away like smoke. It's the wicked person that borrows and does not repay. But the righteous one is gracious in giving. Those who are blessed by the Lord will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be destroyed. Remember I said that this psalm is very much like Proverbs. Although it doesn't seem like it by our standards by which we measure, the poor, righteous, have an advantage over the wealthy, wicked. We live in a culture in which it says that if you want to have the advantages, you have to have the money. You have to have the possessions. You have to have the material wealth. We look at poor nations. We look at poor people and we go, oh, you're so powerless. You're so disadvantaged. The little that the righteous has is better than the abundance of many wicked. We need to learn that so desperately. Proverbs 15, 16 says, it is better 
a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. And Proverbs 16, 8 says, better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. I know too many people willing to cross too many lines for the sake of making more money. It's the old tale of selling your soul to get ahead. What is a soul worth? It's what Jesus said to the, to the farmer who is going to, I'm going to build up bigger barn houses. I'm going to just continue to store up. I'm just going to continue. And, and, and he says, fool, this very night, your soul will be required of you. Now what? But here's the thing. Personal injustice usually hits us in the bank account. It hits us in our wallet. There's some good lessons to be learned when the wicked win by scamming or stealing our money. One, we need to hold it loosely anyway. I've always loved this analogy that if you hold on to your money too tightly, you have a closed fist around it. You won't lose any of it, but neither can you get more because your hand is closed. Now, if you hold your money with an open hand, as the wind blows, some may blow off. You might lose some of it, but it's open. It's ready to receive more that God can put into it. And so we need to be like that with our things, with our possessions. We need to have an open hand with our possessions. It requires a special faith on our part as God's people. Because the fulfillment of God sustaining us can take time. Most who've come to understand that God can be trusted over a lifetime, it took them a lifetime to get there. It took a lifetime to testify to the truth that God is there and he never leaves you and he never forsakes you. God provides for the blameless even in tumultuous times. But the promise is this, the arms of the wicked will be broken. Not literally, but the arms are a sign of strength. You're saying it, it may seem like they're they're prospering. It may seem like they're great. It may seem like they're powerful. They might be in positions of power. Their arms will be broken. They will be powerless. Though they possess the power of wealth, they will be rendered powerless. What does this mean? What are the things that money can't buy? Can't buy family. Can't buy health. Can't buy one extra minute on your life. You can't buy salvation. There is no price on eternal life. Their wealth cannot help them, and they cannot help themselves. But for the righteous, the promise is this. The Lord supports the righteous. That word support, there's many different ways that we can take that. We can say that he supports us, that he's there with us. 
We can say that he supports us and that he provides for us, that he supports us, that he is the one who strengthens us and upholds us so that we do not fail, falter, or fall. If everything is falling down around you, the Lord holds you up. We have to be content that God will provide, but also be content in all that God does provide. This is where some of us might struggle because God doesn't provide the same for everybody, does he? We sometimes go, God, why do they have more than I do? Why do they have different than I do? Why, why do they not seem to suffer, but I have to struggle for every dollar that I make? It's breaking my back. I have to do hard work. Why, why is it easier for some and, and harder for me? There's many different ways that we can take that. There's many different things, but essentially it comes down to this. God knows what you're able to handle. It's always been said that the church can pass the test of adversity. The church passes the test of adversity with flying colors. Hard times come, we band together, we hold each other in arms, we pray, we go. The church, especially the American church, fails the test of prosperity because they want to hold on to it. They want to build their kingdom. They're distracted from God's kingdom. So maybe God withholds and doesn't give you as much as he gives to others because he knows what we can handle. He knows what we're going to be able to do with, that what won't destroy us. Money destroys people. Wealth destroys, material possessions destroy, they consumes also. The more things that you have, the more things you have to take care of. I mean, sure, everybody wants to have a, a boat, a motorcycle, an ATV. They want to have, you know, all the greatest and latest things. But guess what? You've got to maintain it. The law of entropy is always at work. You know what the law of entropy is? A system left to itself just becomes more chaotic and more in disarray. You cannot take a finely well-maintained machine and ignore it for years on end and come back to it and it's perfectly a-okay. It will be a bucket of bolts. Worthless. God will provide for all your needs. Be content and understand that your needs might be less than you think. Our needs might be less than what we think they are. Be content because it might seem like a small provision, but because God is providing it, know this, it will be enough. And perhaps this describes where you fall financially, where it describes where you fall materially. Know that the Lord is your support and the Lord will sustain you. Sometimes the Lord, maybe, maybe we've had things and the Lord takes things away from us. Sometimes the Lord takes things away from us and removes things from our life, not only to bring us closer to him, but to reveal how much we have placed our pleasure more in things than we have pleasure in the Lord. I learned long ago, after searching the Bible and, and, and trying to come up with it, um, I talk about it a lot. I, I lost my job. I was very young. I was married um, for one year, two, I was about to celebrate two years being married. My son was about to turn one year old. 
and I lost my job that I had had for seven and a half years. The first time that I had never been in that position before, and I struggled with it. I, there, were, there were a lot of job openings, though, so I was like very hopeful. I was like, oh, look at all these jobs. Psh, not going to be a problem. It took a long time to find a job. It took a long time to find a job, and I, and I struggled with it, and I struggled with it. I, I struggled with the Lord because I know what the Bible says, that one who cannot take care of their own household, they're worse than a non-believer. Lord, you call me to take care, but why can't I find a job? Why can't I find a job that pays? Why can't I do this? And you know what? The only job that I could find paid half what I was making before. And then to make, take matters more serious, God called me to trust him even more in that, in that job. He brought me to another job that paid even less. And I had to trust him. And I had to trust him for about 18 months before he restored me to a job that paid more and provided more. But in that time, this is what I learned. The Lord promises to, to provide for our needs, but there's only two needs that he promises. Food and clothing. Food and clothing. Matthew 6.25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, consider the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather in barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment of his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles easily, eagerly seek these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Do you know how much weight that takes off your shoulder when you understand that? I had a, 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 a boss at my job who, he, he was so happy when I bought my first car, when I bought my first house, when I got married. He turned and he looked at me and he said, now I got you. It's a wonderful thing when you're not beholden to owing money that you don't have to have a certain amount of a job and you can do what makes you happy and not what pays the bills. With these things provided and also having the Lord, we can find contentment. Paul said in Philippians 4, he says, I know how to make do with a little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, in abundance or in need, he says this, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Your uh, translation may say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse has always been taken out of context to include all sorts of other things. All it 
All it really means is when we have Christ, he strengthens us that we might be content no matter where we find ourselves. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, 7, where we were brought into the world with nothing and we can take nothing out. I love saying this. No one has ever had a U-Haul hooked up to the back of a hearse. You can't take it with you. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. If you expect the Lord to provide for you, you must also trust him by giving. This is where it gets hard for us because there have been times where it gets tight and you're like, no, I don't know. I'm not sure I can do that. I'm with you on that. I struggle with it just, just the same. It takes a, a certain amount of faith to be able to give when there's not much to be giving from. But the Lord sustains the righteous and the righteous are called givers and they're marked by generosity. In, in, in verse 21, jump down to verse 21. The wicked person borrows and does not repay. The righteous one is gracious and giving. You want to trust the Lord? You want to be content in the Lord and what you have? You have to learn to give from what you've been given. Many years ago, there was a secretary of a British missionary society called on a Calcutta merchant for a donation. And the man wrote a check for $250. Back then, that was a sizable amount. And just then, an urgent cablegram was brought in, and it informed the merchant that one of his ships and all of its cargo had been lost at sea. The merchant explained and told the secretary, he says, I need to write you another check. Secretary understood perfectly. Return the check for 250 The merchant wrote another check and handed it to him, and the secretary was amazed to see that the new check was for $1,000. Haven't you made a mistake, he asked. No, said the merchant, as his eyes filled with tears. The cablegram was a message from my heavenly father, which said, do not lay up treasures on earth. If you're walking right uprightly before God and giving generously to support the Lord's work and someone cheats you out of money or you lose money some other way, maybe the stock market crashes, maybe you lose your job, whatever it is, um, there's been times in my life growing up, I hear stories, um, rent money was lost, food stamps were lost. That's back when they were physical food stamps. Those were lost. Um, there's a lot of different ways. Be content. God will provide for your needs. He's not blind to what's going on. Keep walking uprightly. Keep being generous. Keep trusting him. He will take care of your needs. He will take care of your family's needs. Because the Lord watches over the blameless all their days. Not some of them. Not just on the highlights. All their days. That's what verse 18 says. All your days. He sees your life. He sees its span in its entirety. He sees everything. He's watching and he's continuing to provide. Both in your days of adversity and in your days of hunger. But 
The wicked don't have that promise. The promise for the wicked is they will perish. Because the wicked are the enemies of the Lord. They're going to perish and they're going to fade away. He says like the, like the pastures, like the glory of the pastures, it will fade. There will be no remnant of them. There'll be no trace of them. There will be no evidence left of them because they have no future. Psalm 68 verse two, it says, as smoke is blown away, so you God blow them away. As wax melts before the fire, so the wicked are destroyed before God. As we come to verse 22, verse 22 has been used um, in financial uh, counseling all the time. The wicked borrow and do not repay. The wicked borrow and do not repay. And it sounds like greed. It sounds like selfishness. It sounds like uh, misuse of money and thoughtlessness. But some translations and some commentators have taken that instead to be translated, the wicked have to borrow and the wicked cannot repay. It's not necessarily in the text, but it's in the context. It's related to the blessings and the curses of verse 22. Those who are blessed by the Lord will inherit the land, but those who are cursed by him will be destroyed or cut off. It's there by Moses's direction that the Lord's curses and blessings are pronounced. And it's precisely what I believe the psalmist is, is referring to in verse 21. When you go to Deuteronomy 28, 12, it says the Lord will open for you his abundant storehouse, the sky to give your land rain in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. You will not need to borrow. And this is saying that for those who are righteous in the Lord and as they follow the Lord, he will bless them. You jump down in that same chapter to verse 43. It says the resident alien among you will rise higher and higher above you while you will sink lower and lower. This is the one who chooses to disobey the Lord. This is the one who is wicked against the Lord. He will lend to you but you won't lend to him. He will be the head and you'll be the tail. They will be in a position of financial prosperity to lend to them. They will never be able to lend back because they will not be blessed. They're not taken care of. As the latter passage puts it financially, as well as in other ways, the cursed will sink lower and lower and lower and the blessed will rise higher and higher because the Lord supports them and the Lord lifts them up. We are encouraged to look beyond the anxieties of our present. Because if we stay grounded in the present, and we just look around at what's going on here, we become very short-sighted. And we start feeling like whatever problems we're going through are the only thing that we've ever known and the only thing we ever will know. And we start thinking, oh, this is just the way it's going to be and this is what I have to do, as opposed to having the long view and looking towards what the end is, or what the end that the Lord has declared for us is. In verses 12 and 14 in the previous section, there's a time when what verse 16 called the wealth of many wicked will become poverty. The little that the righteous will have will become plenty. Be content in the Lord that he will judge the wicked and also provide for the righteous. 
The righteous will be satisfied in days of hunger, but the wicked will perish. It says, although the wicked flourish today, like the glory of the pastures, they will fade away, fade away like smoke. We think of all the, the people that prosper and we look at them and we look at the lives that they're leading. How many of us are disgusted by what we see about coming out of Hollywood? The people, the, the lives, the destruction, just the, the, where they're at. See those high fashion models, right? They, they, they look like they live the, the high life and those with exceptional wealth, those with all the influence, all these other people lifted up as celebrities and people that we should look up to. And, and, and what happens is on the outside, it looks so wonderful. But then when you get to know the inside story, it's, it's like Jesus described. It's whitewashed tombs. It's, a, it's beautiful on the outside, but inside is rotten bones. Those celebrities... They seem to flourish, but they soon will vanish. Beauty fades, popularity wanes, wealth overextends, wealth is lost, influence passes into other hands. Triumphs of the wicked are temporary, but the inheritance of the righteous is eternal. It's forever. You guys have a glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. It's forever. It's eternal. Those who do the will of God endure, not just for this life, but for all of eternity. Psalm 1-3 says, The righteous is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bear its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. Verse six, because the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. We have a hard time with, with uh, money. Riches won't make you content. I know everybody in here, if, we, if you were asked, how much money do you need to be content? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more and, and I'll be content. I'll be, but you know what else? Poverty doesn't make you content either. You see, it's not about how much you have or how much you don't have. You could be a monk and you could live on nothing and that won't make you content. What's the secret of having plenty or having little and being content in either circumstance? The secret of being content, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. More stuff won't make you happy. More debt to get more stuff just feeds the monster of discontent. The secret to being contented in life is reliance on God for all and in all things. My brothers and sisters in Christ, let us look to our God as the sustenance for that which we need. Our destiny just like our contentment hinges on our relationship with the Lord. If you're discontent in this life, it's time to look at your relationship with the Lord. How close are you to him? Are you drawing from him? Because those who trust in the Lord are both content in him 
and sustained by him for all of eternity. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. And Lord, we thank you so much for the, the words of wisdom from David. And, and, and Lord, what a timely message for the days that we live in where we see the wicked that seem to prosper, where people seem to be just getting away with stuff. Lord, where it seems like to live righteously means that you are going to live without. But Father, your promises is even if we live without the things of this world, you've promised to provide us with the things that we need. You've promised to give us the contentment that we're seeking. Not only for now, but for always, for all of eternity. We thank you, Lord, that you are a total and complete God that when we have you, even if we have nothing else, we have all that we need. Help us to trust you, Father God. Help us to find our contentment in you. Maybe there's some of us here tonight listening and hearing these words. We have no idea the satisfaction that we can have in our life, that, that f- sense of fulfillment that we can have in our life. Maybe we've been chasing that void for so long, trying to fill it with everything else that we can find, whether it's with partying, whether it's with money, whether it's with success, whether it's with fame or influence, friends, family, relationships, children. Lord, there's so many things willing to take that place that only you can fill. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to come and surrender. Come to the foot of the cross and and confess that you've been trying to fill and be filled on all the things of this world, all the temporary things, all the unsatisfying things. When when, When God has provided Jesus on the cross, that we could come to him and be fulfilled and satisfied through him. Jesus said on multiple occasions that he is the bread of life. Those who come, that they would never be hungry again. He said that he is the living water, that those who drink from him would never thirst again because he is the one who satisfies. And the invitation is to come to him, all who are heavy laden, weary, and tired. Tired of trying to find that which satisfies because you won't find it anywhere else but in Christ Jesus. So come to him. And the promise is, is all who come to him, he will by no means cast away. But those who come and call upon his name shall be saved. They will be filled. They will be transferred. They will be made from being people of unrighteousness, covered in the righteousness of Christ and made to be children of God who are the inheritance, who will be co-heirs with Christ in eternity. we thank you that we can come to you, Father, and be filled. In Jesus' name, amen.